Nobody loves me like you love me, Jesus. I stand in awe of your amazing ways. I worship you as long as I am breathing. God, you are faithful and true. Nobody loves me like you. Nobody's 
nobody loves you like him. And we all want to love everybody like he loves everybody. Amen. Just a little portion of that Holy Spirit. It's got all the elements of the whole ocean. Amen. So I just have a little announcement that um, this is Brother Josh Jenkins' last service here. Before he moves over to Tennessee and gets married, I can remember a couple years ago, you know, I was talking, texting with him. I'll never get married. We laughed and we said, yeah, sure you. No, no, but we were talking about how prayer changes things. Amen. We're thankful for God for that. Amen. And we, with all our love and devotion and just prayers for our brother, we love you. Appreciate you, brother. You're just a miracle in the making. Amen. Just like the rest of us, praise God what God can do to a human being. If you have a request upon your heart this evening, I have a little testimony. My son is doing well. He's working hard in the frozen chosen. <laughs> Negative temperatures up there. And uh, he sent a picture today. He was working in the shop and he was smiling. You know, when he sends pictures, I look at his eyes. You know, I look at the expression on his face. He's just been so through so much. Battles anxiety, battles depression, alcohol. But the picture I got today did me good. Father, we love you this morning. And we will never, never give up. We will never stop praying. So many answers of prayer that you have brought to pass. And Lord, as we, each one of us, regardless of who we are, we have a desire and a quest upon our heart this evening. I pray that you just look upon it Send back a confirmation of an answer, Father, for each and every one. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us today. I love you, Lord. I love your people. Pray for those that are streaming. Pray for those that are here, Father. We are so looking forward to hearing the word this evening. We didn't come to see each one, Father, one another, though we do love to do that but we came to see you in full manifestation of your word in our hearts today. As we collect the tithes and offerings, I pray that you bless the cheerful giver, magnify the contributions, Father, for your, your body, your church, and Lord, the gift that will come forward, the greatest form of worship. I'm always asking, I'm always praying, because I believe you will. Manifest yourself fully, Father. Move the man aside. Speak to our hearts. Help us to be receptive of what you'd have us to hear. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
you may be seated. Amen. We're going to have Sister Ruth come and give us a special. Amen. Let's give Sister Ruth a hand.
your grace still amazes me your love is still a mystery each day i fall on my knees your grace still amazes me your grace still amazes me your love is still a Faithful Father, enduring friend, your tender mercy like a river with no my sin each time I come into his presence I stand in wonder once again your grace won't you stand with me still amazes me your love still a mystery each day I fall on my knees your grace still amazes me oh patient Savior you may
come and give us a song this evening. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Amen. Through prophets old, your word was spoken. Now on the pages I can read how you came down, your body broken. And now your spirit can dwell in me. Dwell in me. Dwell in me. So the world, your life may see. And in your presence, I can be constantly, if your spirit dwell in me. Oh, the love, Lord, you have shown me. Oh, the grace that set me free in my heart, Lord, may your home be, let your spirit dwell in me, dwell in me. So the world your life may see And in your presence I can be constantly If your spirit dwell in My burden's light now, 
But my heart weighs heavy For the ones Who don't yet see This evening light This ember burning Oh, your spirit It dwells in me presence constantly oh thankfully for your spirit it dwells in me oh dwell in me dwell in me so the word your life may see I'm in your presence constantly oh thankfully for your spirit it dwells in me oh your spirit it dwells in
of God. Praise the Lord. I'm going to invite you right into the scripture, Matthew's gospel, chapter 22. Speaking of Matthew, we're happy to have him and Rachel back. Amen. With us safe and sound. Looking forward to hearing the report. I've heard a few little snippets and it looks like the Lord has done some wonderful things. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did y'all get my title today? <laughs> I didn't send it to the booth because I figured y'all got it too, right? Y'all check WhatsApp, right? Amen. Thumbs up all across. I like that. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's why we have it. Amen. Matthew chapter 22. I want to preach on life without eternal life. <clears throat> want to just uh, remind you, uh, the brothers, that the men's Thursday night prayer meeting starts back up tomorrow night at 6 p.m. And uh, we're going get, to get that going again. My, we've had such wonderful time together. Amen. I love getting together with the brothers and amen, breaking up, breaking the bread of life and praying together. We've had some tremendous results from it. Amen. So you wives get your husbands fed and out the door. <laughs> amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so uh, we'd be happy to have all of our, of our senior young men, our senior youth men to come to that as well. Amen. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 22, we'll catch verses 36 through 40, then we'll let you be seated and we're going to go to the book of James. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22, and we'll catch 36 through 40. So this is where um, someone comes along to ask him a question. He's a lawyer, he's an expert in the law. My Boy, these guys, they just love to try to trap Jesus in the law. And here he was, you know, he, I mean, he was the whole law and the prophets. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> That'll become important as we go along. Master, <clears throat> which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Wow, what a statement. James chapter 2, amen, praise the Lord, amen. So you know if we're going to the book of James, it's, we're going we're gonna to get up in your business tonight. Because <laughs> James didn't play, amen. He's no nonsense, he's straight honest, and uh, he just had a way of cutting to the chase, amen, praise the Lord, amen. James chapter 2, verse 1, one through 13, 
My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if they are come unto, unto your assembly, a man with a gold ring and fine apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not the rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye. And so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now, that's a wonderful word, isn't it? The law of liberty. So we've got a royal law and we've got the law of liberty. <clears throat> For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And I love this. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Mm -mm -mm. <clears throat> Let's pray. Master, we thank you now for your word that we've read. And Lord, I just covet your, your complete takeover, Lord, of this service tonight. And I pray that you will help us to look into the word, Father, to see what our needs are and to see how our needs are met in you. I commit myself into your hands for service just now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. You can be seated. So a royal law, a law of liberty. I want to just make a few comments about this before we go too far into it. <clears throat> so it's a royal law. And as I, I, as I began to look at that and began to break it down, I wondered, you know, why James would call it royal, why that that would be the adjective that he would choose to use in the Greek, and I'm not going to do a breakdown of the Greek tonight, but he used this very, you know, this very descriptive word to describe the characteristics of the law from the lawgiver. And he calls it, and, and thinking of a way to describe the law of liberty, which is in Christ, only in Christ, then he would call it a royal law. 
And so we realize then that because it's a, a royal law, the law, uh, you know, would, would describe a manifestation, um, can I say it this way, of a royal person. And, and if that person has decided to build a kingdom, then I would suggest to you it's a royal kingdom. And, I w- and if we believe that a royal person has built a royal kingdom and, then, and he has a royal law of, uh, uh, and, and that royal law is a manifestation because James doesn't leave it as just some, you know, just some feel-good thought. It's not just a thought bubble. He actually describes it. He says, if you would keep the royal law, you're going to do this. You're going to live like this. You're not going to do this, that, or the other. So it's not just a philosophy. It's not just a, a nice, fuzzy way of thinking. It actually, if I'm going to say the royal law given by the royal person who's building a royal kingdom, he obviously wants royal subjects, then that tells me that he's looking for a royal manifestation. He's not looking for, you know, a word salad. He's not just looking, you know, for a cliché. If there's a royal law, then there ought to be a royal manifestation. And I believe that James gets this word, got this description and chose this description because he saw true royalty up close. Amen? I'm going to tell you something. When you hang around royal people, you start thinking royal thoughts. You start talking. when When you have become convinced that your father is a great king. You remember the story Brother Branham tells about the slave from Africa, but he was different than the other ones. And they said, well, why is he? He said, because at home, his father's a king. And even though he's in a foreign land, he knows who he is, he knows his lineage, and he conducts himself. His life is a manifestation of his heritage. So I, I think that James spending those years you know, growing up alongside of Jesus and following him in his ministry, he was able to see real royalty. We're not talking about the royalty that the world conjures up and people just think that they're royalty because somewhere back in their lineage, uh, their great ancestor was some type of a king. And, you know, it's amazing that in the earth, wars have fought because there's a king and somebody else wants to be the king. And so they, there's a civil war, and whoever wins is going to get to have a new king. And that's, that, that lasts about as long un, as, as until another one comes along who says, you know, I think I'd like to be a king. And he hires a bunch of troops and mercenaries, and we got another war. Europe is replete with that kind of warfare, and, 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 and a lot of times in families, this goes all the way back to any time there's a monarch. You even find it in, in, the, in the kings of Israel, in their sinful ways, in the kings of Judah. Those backslidden kings, they would absolutely have their siblings murdered just so that they could not. I mean, when Herod is on the throne and he hears about a child born who's going to fulfill prophecy. Boy, two years old and down. Can you imagine 
having the kind of a manifestation to where you actually receive a prophecy and you have somebody come along and verify to you that they've been following a star and even the supernatural is around the promise. And, and they're saying the supernatural is proving to you that this day this scripture is fulfilled and you're going to try to commit murder? Sound familiar? It's what we find from the very first days of the early church. When that false church began to go in, they immediately, Satan goes off of his, he realizes he can't trick them and deceive them and, get, and, and gain all the ends that he wants to achieve. So he jumps on a red horse and starts slaughtering them. So Jesus says that the first great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And I I think that this verse has never had more significance in the day and hour that we live in in 2024 than to say you need to love the Lord with your whole mind because this is an age of the invasion of the minds of man and everything is designed to, to bring your mind aside and put it on anything but the Word of God. I think we can witness that. And he says the next thing that goes with loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind is that you love others as yourself so you so you can see that the influence of this royal person giving out his royal word and when people believe it one of the signs is that their life becomes royal and and James picks this second this second thing up where Jesus said the first is love God the second is love your love your neighbor as yourself and that's what James picks up and calls the royal law so so there's no way to he says you know if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself so so as i said i think this this should prove to us clearly tonight that if we're if we're going to say that we're part of the royal family then our life ought to have a royal manifestation so now Now I'm going beyond just loving thy neighbor as thyself. Now it's all the law. See? So so we find then that this is a royal manifestation that will be in the lives of all of those who are part of the royal family. Let me say it like this. Those will have a royal manifestation who love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. Can I say it in that direction? That's just flipping it. I'm inverting it now. You're reading it one way, and you're coming to a conclusion. Now I'm starting with a conclusion, and I'm going back to the cause. What would cause me to live uh, the royal law? Because I love God with all my heart, my, my mind, my soul, and everything is all about Him. So these are they who will fulfill the royal law. And they're the only ones. 
Dr. Constable, one of my favorite commentators, I don't, can't agree with him on everything, of course, like Brother Branham said, I, he said, I like old Dr. Schofield. He said, no, I don't agree with all of his notes, he said, but, you know, there, there was some of them that Brother Branham liked, and one of my favorite for years has been Dr. Constable, and he, he says this in his lexical aid, the word royal, and he's got a breakdown of the Greek. We're not going into it tonight, but he says it like this, the royal law is royal, in that it is the law of the king who heads the kingdom that believers will inherit. Amen. Clear enough? The royal law is, is royal. Here's why it's royal. In that it is the law of the king who heads the kingdom that believers will inherit. What are you looking to inherit? What are your future plans? I can tell you my future plans don't involve staying around here. My future home is, is, is not this world order. I'm looking for a royal land. Hallelujah, with a royal order. He goes on to say, it is also royal. I thought these were astonishing reasons. It just really hit the nail on the head. It is also royal in that it is primary, meaning that it governs all other laws dealing with human relationships. And he cites Matthew 22, 39 and Leviticus 19, 18 if you want to make a reference. So now we've got to come down and realize that, that this is, as I said to you already, this is not just about treating your neighbor like yourself. This is all other laws. It, and it, it, it makes it a royal law because it's the primary law. And if you are, I'm saying it as plain as I possibly can, if, if the royal law is governing your life, then all other laws of God's word are a part of your manifestation. This is why the apostle could say to the believers, because they're the only ones who can pull this off, at least they're the ones that are supposed to be pulling it off, that whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I just simply say whatever I, you can't do and, and put the name of Jesus to it, don't do it. Whatever you can't say in the name of Jesus, don't say it. Now how do you speak to your neighbor? Now how do you speak to someone in the business world? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your children? Children, how do you speak to mom and dad? How do husbands speak to wives? How do wives speak to husbands? Hey, don't get quiet. This is the royal law. You can say, well, you know, I'm born this. I got this propensity. Brother Branham said he was Irish. But the Holy Ghost quelled all of that. He said all of his people were killers and drunkards. But he wasn't like that. See? So don't, don't tell me your heritage or your nature or, you know, because the Holy Ghost brings down control upon our lives. Amen? I told you James is going to get up in your business. Dr. Constable goes on to say, let me, let me read it in, in, in the flow that he gives it. It's also the royal in that it is primary. It governs all other laws dealing with human relationships. Moreover, it is conduct 
of a high order <laughs> that is worthy of a king. Mm. No wonder a prophet would come and preach a sermon. Is your life worthy of the gospel? Come on, friends, it don't do any good to say I'm a believer and God sent a prophet. Where is the manifestation? I already know you got a royal message. You got a royal Christ. Is, are you living a royal life? Royal people surrender to their duties. Even the ones who don't want it, and it's a burden, but they, they have a, an obligation. See? So it is a, a high order. It's a conduct of high order that is worthy of a king. Another commentary that I, that on this verse that I thought was really good from the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, James was aware that there would be some who would tend to dismiss their offense of prejudice as a trivial fault. Remember James said somebody will come in with a ring and gold and fine clothes and you'll treat them a certain way and then the next man comes in who's poor and, and filthy clothes and you just want to shuffle him off to a corner somewhere. And, and James is saying that's wrong. Respect of persons is wrong. It's devilish. It's evil. Listen, friends, if there was ever a time uh, you're living in a world that is so polarized, it's so divided, it's so opposing. If there was ever a time when we should live by all for one and one for all, if there was ever, I've been saying it for 30 years, we're all in this thing together. Friends, let's be together. Let's stay together. Let's have families in harmony who are, who are following the royal lifestyle. He says he was aware that there would be some who would tend to dismiss their offense of prejudice as a trivial fault. They would hardly consider themselves as lawbreakers just because they showed a little favoritism. We do that, don't we? Well, I'm mostly good. I got a few little, you know, I'm, you know, it's not really a, not really a problem. Oh, it's a problem. See, that's what James's point. It's a problem. The uh, BKC goes on to say they would hardly consider themselves as lawbreakers. James went on to make it clear that this was no small offense. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. So there ain't no little trivial things. We're either believers or we're not. We're either going to keep God's word or we're not. See? In a message in 1955, the waters of separation. I love this. This gives me hope. Brother Branham says, when we, we always think of the color, he's talking about the color of red. He said that the red is danger. He said red does signify danger or uh, or life or so forth. But red in the scripture signifies redemption through the blood. See, now I want you to think just for a minute because I, I ran a little test. I, I, I remember hearing Brother Branham talk about and, you know, in his uneducated way and he kept apologizing for it. He said, if there's a scientist here, he said, I know it's, you just overlooked me and I'm in my ignorance. He said, I'm just trying to make a, a point. And he said, you know, it, 
molecule this, that, or this, and it'd be this color. And, and if you just changed a, a couple little molecule numbers, if you, you know, instead of, instead of SR5-CSY, and instead you made it, you know, R3G and, and, and dash YZA, he said, then you could go from this color to that color to this color to that color. And, and it'd be amazing with just a little variation how you could change the color. And I, I, I started looking into that. And there are some, when you look at molecular formulas, they, they, there are some of them that are exceptionally dissimilar and they, their colors vary wi- wildly. But, you know, I, I, just, I just took as an example, and I didn't decided not to put it up on the screen tonight, I just took red and blue. And the first thing that I found out is that, you know, something I, I already knew and I thought, yeah, of course, you know, there's all different kinds of colors of red and all kinds of different colors of blue. But just as an example, there is a color of red and a color of blue. And when I looked at the mathematical or looked at the molecular formula, just like Brother Branham said, they were almost identical, just one or like seven or eight characters long, maybe, maybe a dozen characters long, and only one or two or three of them were just different. It had just one little different number, and it went from red to blue. So now, this, this makes me realize, and I'm going to make a point here in a minute, that what I'm saying now is going to be based on, that God just didn't accidentally make colors. They actually have a formula. They're actually scientific. They're very precise down to the molecule. So much so that if he just changes one or two digits in a dozen digit long uh, sequence, it's a completely different color. So God doesn't do anything accidentally. All right? So now Brother Branham is saying red does signify danger, but red in the scripture signifies redemption through the blood. So let me say it like this. God made blood red on purpose. He didn't make it blue or brown or green. He made it red. Red in the scripture signifies redemption through the blood. Harlot Rahab, would she put the scarlet streak down and all? She put a red, a red streak, a red cord. All through the Bible is a scarlet streak. Redemption. Catch this now. This is a prophet with such an authority that everybody else could probe at it and probe at it and probe at it. But here's a prophet coming and, and certifying that redemption comes through red. Say, who decided that? The king. The one who made red. The one who literally created the formula and said, this right here is going to be redemption. And, and it can't be changed at all. You're, you can't even add one little digit. You can't change anything. He's got one color for redemption. I want you to see the purposeness. That this is a purpose-driven God who does, who, who does nothing without a, a, a royal reason. Oh, my. Hallelujah. So he says redemption comes through red, through the shedding of the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And how that God said, now here he goes again. Go and get this heifer that's red all over. So now he's decided that for 
the sacrificial animal for a certain type of sacrifice, not just any sacrifice, all kinds of sacrifices in, in, in Leviticus, but for this one particular, this redemption sacrifice, it's got to be a sacrificial animal that's red all over. And it can't even have any variation or any other colors. So he says, this heifer that's red all over, not one spot of anything else, but perfectly red. Amen. Amen. Through the shedding of the blood and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And how that God said, okay, I've read that. All right, and so he says, and he says, so God said, get this heifer that's red all over, not one spot of anything else perfectly red. For God looked through red. And now he's going to go scientific on you. And you know what, and he says, and you know what color is red looking through red? Red through red makes white. Try it one time. We used to all do that in the cereal box. I forget now what it came in. You'd have the little goggles. And you have the secret code. And if you put the red goggles on, you'd, you'd see a red splotch and, and you'd see the code. Uh, you'd see the white, the white lettering. You couldn't see it when you took the red goggles off. Oh, friends, watch this now. And he says, for God looked through red. And he says, red through red makes white. Try it one time. Red through red produces white. So when God looks through the blood of Jesus Christ, to we who are scarlet red with sin and covered by the blood, he sees us white as snow, though your sins be red like crimson. For real? For real? They really are red like crimson, but because of the red blood of Jesus Christ, he sees you as white as snow. Though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. This tells me that redemption is not some accident. Brother Branham's just not going... Hey, you know, a neat little, little funny thing here. You know, this isn't just a little bit of a uh, little funny trivia. Guess what I figured out in the Bible? No, this is God before there was ever stardust. He already knew there was going to be a lost people. He already knew he was going to have a redemption. And when he creates blood, he said, now this is going to be a redeeming color. I want you to understand, friends, that you're headed for glory tonight because of a master plan. You're not going accidentally. You didn't become a believer accidentally. God thought about this. He knew your sins would be like scarlet, so he had a remedy before the first sin was ever committed. A red heifer is not a product of evolution. It's a product of creation. Blood isn't red by accident. You, 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 and, and, and you take oxygen out of it and you start changing the color. Change it at all and you start changing color. See, it's got to have life in it. The fact that it's red means you're set free by a living force. So when God made blood red and when God made a sacrificial animal red, he already knew there would be a redemption of the lost. See, and so, so now under a prophetic microscope, 
we see this compound meaning that, that otherwise we wouldn't have known with certainty. I could have stood up here and said, you know, I think maybe this could be. Lots of man-aged thinkers, brilliant, beautiful minds of men could, could, could have thought about that and probably did, and it's probably in lexical aids in other places, but I'm here to tell you something, friends. I'm not trusting in my wits or their wits because they got some stuff wrong, and I get some stuff wrong. I'm glad that I have a prophetic. I have a prophetic utterance. Hallelujah. Red stands for redemption. And so we see that Jesus is trying to, this is why Jesus would come with such a, a flat statement with no wiggle room. You must be born again. Amen. We've been laboring on this. To, we, we were talking about it on Sunday and I referenced a conversation with a young man recently to say it's wonderful to come to church. It's wonderful to sing songs. It's, it's, it's wonderful to have the understanding of the Bible, but you must be born again. I'm glad you're here, but you must be born again. He said, Brother Jason, I'm glad you're my pastor. Thank you, but you must be born again. Hallelujah. It's a command. It's a requirement. It's definitely not a recommendation. It's not mere advice. So we find that from Sinai. Paul deals with this in Hebrews 2. We're not going to uh, take the time to go there tonight. But from Sinai, Paul, ta uh, Paul talks about there that how that we live under the rule of law from Sinai and that every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. I call it, I call it uh, sin uh, is the fair wages. Uh, the, the fair wages of sin is a retirement fund uh, just as those in Sodom received in their flesh all the corruptions naturally. They received penalty in their flesh naturally. People who live in sin suffer naturally in their flesh. Everybody who lives a life, a committed life that's against God's word, sin pays wages. And those who have been in hell are spending their retirement. They earned it well. They built up a big account. And some of them built up larger accounts than others. I was looking at a, at a documentary on the first Nuremberg trial. And they executed 10 from the Third Reich of the Nazi, the Nazi regime there. And, and of course, they had second and third different ones of the Nuremberg trials. This was the very first one. Of course, Eichmann, they didn't have. Hitler had committed suicide. They didn't have him, so they couldn't bring him to trial. But they brought everybody else to trial yeah. from Goering on down. And we find that a little while later, they caught some of them in hiding and they brought them to trial. And then they caught some more and brought them to trial. And so I don't want to get off into the... That of all the men that were executed and, and were executed by hanging, that there was only one, only one. I, I could hardly believe it. That they, they literally recorded 
here they're standing on the gallows and the, the noose is around their neck and they're just getting ready to put the black hood over their face and they say, Would, do you have any last words? I mean, you're done. You're on the gallows. The noose is around your neck. This isn't going to go any other way but one way. Do you have any last words? And, and all of them would say, you know, we're, I, I love Germany and I love the fatherland and I, I pray God's blessing upon the German people. And, and, and then some of them, just, they said, do you have any last words? No. And only one, there was one elderly man. He had been part of the, uh, of the command chain. And he's, his, the first words out of his mouth were, I pray that God have mercy on my soul. Only one out of ten. And that was the first thing he said in confessing his guilt of, of these crimes against humanity. He said, I pray that God forgive my soul and, and forgive Germany and help, help her to be healed and reunited. And we followed leaders who weren't soldiers and they were, they were of evil intent. And he's admitting all of this and he's the only one. Say, what is going to be his outcome? He'll get a fair trial. I know that. Just before they pulled the black hood over his face, he turned to the chaplain and he said in a low voice, I'll see you again. So we find then that the fair wages of sin can't be refused as a wage. You've got to, once you earn them, you've got to spend them suffering in the regions of the lost. I, I also, I didn't watch the whole thing. I, was, I, was, I had a purpose and intent. I was looking for a certain thing. And I came across this Man, and you, you know, the internet is filled with these testimonies and different churches put them out and, and of near-death experiences. You know, Brother Branham had not just a near-death experience, he had an after-death experience. And actually, he had a near-death experience where he descended into the lower parts of the earth and he says it was a haunting. It was the most horrible thing. He said, he said I'd rather have hot wires run through my body than to ever go, but then to spend five minutes there. He said, it's real, friends. Don't ever let anyone tell you it's not a real place. And this man who had, who had died in an explosion and he, 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 they, they managed to get him back later, but he, he tells how that when he flew from the explosion, a, a furnace exploded gas and it blew him backwards. And he said, I was up out of my body. And he said, I looked around and I saw that I had died in an explosion. And he says, now that matches what Brother Branham said. He said, I looked back and there was my body and I thought, oh, I've died. See? So this is not uncommon. Brother Branham, even in one quote, he talks about how that when when a spirit leaves the body, it hangs around the body for a little bit trying to get back in. And, and so he says, he says immediately bursting into my room, they came right through the wall. He, he starts talking about these two large, very grotesque looking beings. Now, 
And he, he goes on. I'm going to say a little bit more in a moment, but that caught my attention. When he starts talking about these two very large, grotesque beings. And Brother Branham in demonology describes that demons have different appearances depending on what kind of demon they are. I got a quote here on demonology. I'm going to read this in a moment if I don't run out of time. You all right? And, and so I, that caught my attention when he talks about the, they were very large and they were very gross and, and ghoulish looking. And, and, I, and I remembered immediately, it took me back. I was, I was a young boy and I was having a dream and the Lord's dealt with me in spiritual dreams all my life. And, I, and he's get, told me things and I was able to reveal things to people and solve cases, not only in my children, but as a pastor. And even, even there, you, you, you've come to me, members of my church have come to me with a dream. And I would say, you know, let's pray and see what the Lord will do and see if he'll show me the dream. Now, that's only the purview of a prophet who sees the dream you had. And I'm certainly not a prophet, but I wondered one time with a gift of dream, would God do that? And he did. And I was able to set a brother down and I was able to go back and tell him parts of the dream he left out. And he said, my goodness, you really saw my dream. I said, I did. Now, here's the interpretation because you're misunderstanding the dream. You're very frightened over it, but you don't have to be because you remember this, this, this. He goes, yes. I said, well, this is what it meant, not what you think. Amen. So, so we find that that I, the Lord dealt with me in very powerful dreams. And I was just a lad. And I, I remember having a dream that caught my attention like this man. And in the dream, I was walking in a dark place and I, a long, vast expanse of void. It's the only way I can say it. It was all dark. And I could tell I was moving through it. And far in the distance, I saw a light. I thought, what is that? It's way in the distance. And I, I probably couldn't have been much more than Enoch's age here. And as I'm walking and as I start getting close, I see that there are two staircases. And, and, they, and they basically are side by side at ground level. And one of them turns and goes upward and disappears. And another one goes and turns downward and I can see red glow. And up here I can see bright light. And as I'm walking, there's a man sitting on this side. And he's a very ghoulish looking creature. And as, he, as I'm approaching, he looks up and he says, oh, I see we have another one. And I knew what that meant. My parents had taught me the way and, and things about uh, demonology. My mother taught us from a very uh, young age that the devil was real. And hell wasn't a figment of imagination. It wasn't just some, some hazy thing. It was an actual place. And as soon as he said, oh, we've got another one, I immediately went to stop. And when I did, I realized something lifted me and I looked like this and there it was, two very large, ghoulish, grotesque looking. When this man says two very large beings came in very ghoulish and had claws and and, and, and suddenly I realized, and they were carrying me towards the downward staircase. And I was kicking and screaming for all I was worth. I remember like it was yesterday. And it, you know what? It reminded me. It, it, I, they, were, they were very large. 
and they were covered in long, grisly hair. I remember that so vividly, just like head to toe. I can tell you this, they didn't look like angels. Let me just say it that way. They didn't look like Gabriel. (laughs) Oh my. And they're carrying me towards. And right as we got near the banister and they're going to take me down, I somehow managed to make a kick and twist and jerk and I broke free of their grip. And now you can imagine where I headed. I ran around the banister and with them trying to reach and grab me and up that staircase I went and they started chasing me as hard as they could and I was running and I was fast as the wind when I was a kid and I'm running up those steps and they're right on my heels and right as I break into the top, there stands the biggest, most beautiful, Gabriel looking angel, big giant white wings, enormous and he's just standing there and I stopped And they stopped, and everybody froze. And he looked at me, and he looked at them, and he just went, "Mm mm-mm. And they turned around and went back down. And the last thing as I woke up, I was walking into the entrance. It stayed with me as a boy all my life. Never forgot that. And... They covered, you know, I, I, I remember that, that Brother Branham talked about the, the demon of alcoholism that came out of, of, of Rosella Griffin, Sister Rosella Griffin. And, and he said it had long hair just like that. When, when I heard that as a boy, when I heard that on tape, I went, wow, that's exactly like what I saw. They didn't look like bats. And Brother Branham said not all demons look the same. And so, but, but I remember that, that very long hair. I remember Brother Keith Brown giving a description one time of a woman who was delivered of cigarettes. And I'm not here to, to, to give kids bad dreams, but it, was, brother, it affected Brother Keith. And he was praying. And I was standing on the front row. I wasn't even a minister at the time. And he was down with a brother from Haiti. And those Haitian pastors, man, they're used to busting heads with demons. And he's, I remember that Haitian pastor is just saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Brother Keith is down there praying, and in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, I saw Brother Keith stagger backwards and like, get out of the way. No one knew what happened, but that woman was free in a moment. And he told it the next morning in the service. He said, friends, he said, when that brother was casting that devil out of her, He said, what rose up out of her? He said, it was the most horrible. And he talked about that grizzly, that long hair. It had that grizzly long hair. And he said, it was just like a puppet. It was like jello. It was like going like this. It had had just become disembodied. This is not not a fairy tale. This is real life. And he said, it wiggled and wiggled and went through the wall. I saw that happen right here. Saw a demon come up out of a cistern, take off right through the window, the old window that used to be there. And so, so you, you see these things, and Brother Branham picks it up here. He says, I'm writing a book. If, you, if I can, you, I, don't, I don't know whether you'll be able to demonology, personal contact with demons. Friends, they're just as real as you, just as real as you're real. And I see them many times when they leave, right? I've seen them come right off the platform. I see them, some of them in the shape of bats, some of them see 
look like long hairs hanging on their legs, but an epileptic demon looks like a tortoise with round legs hanging up like that, but usually, and then he goes to a demon of oppression, these suicide demons. He said a demon of oppression seems to be more like a cloud form, like a wave. And it just makes a real funny sound when you're, when you're in that other, other dimension to see that spirit. Now, you may think that's wrong, but some of these days you'll realize if you could only take a spiritual looking glass and look. Now, watch this. Watch him turn the corner on us. He said, if you could only take a spiritual looking glass and look into your soul, no doubt you'd find out what it looks like. And the greatest devil, now he's talking about bats and tortoises and waves and depression and like little clouds that make a funny sound. But now he comes on, he says, but now the greatest devil, the chief of all devils is unbelief. And it lives in the soul of people. I I was going to put it on the screen tonight, but again, I didn't want to send children home with bad dreams. I don't know if you ever remember way back in, I think in the 1930s, I remember years ago uh, seeing, uh, and I don't even remember the name of it for sure, but it was something about Dorian Gray. And he, he stood in a mirror and he, he, he thought he was young, but he was actually decrepit and, and the evil that was in his heart was turning him ghoulish until one day he looked in the mirror and he saw his real gaunt self. I'm here to tell you, friends, people don't have a spiritual mirror like that, but we do have the Word. And let me tell you, you don't want to see a fallen soul in a spiritual mirror. Just look in God's Word and say, Lord, I don't want to be that person. I want to be full of the Spirit of God. I want to have the law of liberty. I want to have the royal law working inside of me. Because the worst one is in the soul and it's unbelief. He said, that's the only sin there is. There's no doubt sin. There's no other sin but unbelief. All these little morals and things, smoking, drinking, gambling, committing adultery, that's just attributes. You do that because you don't believe. Unbeliever is what makes you do it. If you was a believer, you wouldn't do it. That's right. And this man that I was watching his testimony, I didn't complete it because I wasn't there for that purpose. I just caught a few of the details. But the thing that astonished him was to find out that although he was, he was incredulous that these big ghoulish beings were coming after him because he, he said, I've been in church for years. He said, I'm talking about, he said, I've been in church. I pay my tithes. I, I sing in the choir. I do all of these things. He said, you know, I, I, I do this and I do that. But he, but he realized in that moment, in that moment when he was, ha- when he was having his near-death experience and he's looking down on his body that's just been blown up and here comes these ghouls right through his living room wall to take him. And he said they had shackles and they were going to put them on me. And, and he was so astonished to, to, and he realized in that moment, in that moment that he had been in church for years, but he, he did not have what it took Amen. at that moment. Amen. He was missing that personal experience yeah. with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's why we're preaching. That's why we're talking about it, Sonny. That's why I sat across from a young man. I said, you must be born again. It's good that we love this church. It's good that we love each other. It's good that we've got wonderful families and great ministry. But you must be born again. It's good to believe God sent a prophet. It's good to believe all the truth. But you must be born again. Oh, God, give us an old-fashioned outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon our young people, upon our married people. That's what I want to see in this assembly. A fresh outpouring. He protested that he had been a good person. He's trying to trying to reason with these ghouls. He protested that he had been a good person. He considered himself a Christian. He said, when I protested, he said, I was shown a long, long list of offenses that I had committed since I was a child. This is his testimony. He said, the thing that astonished him the most is how trivial they seemed. Just like when James was writing, lest the believers think it's just trivial to show respect to persons. And James says, it's not trivial. It's serious. And he said, they showed me a long list of minor offenses. He said things that, you know, that I'd stolen, that I, I didn't really think amounted to anything. You know, nobody would miss it. It was no big deal. And he said, he said, I was even shown harsh words that I had uttered. Just giving somebody the business, you know, telling somebody off. He said, he said, there was even one on the list where I had been in a, in a checkout line at a store. And he said, I had grown impatient with the store clerk because she was taking too long to give me a receipt. And he said, I snapped some rude comments to her and these harsh words and, and, and even just impatience. And, and he says, because, and this, this, thought, this answer blew me away. He says, because that, that wasn't love. That wasn't love. Just harsh words. And those demons have a list of it. It's, there's a record of it. That's why I said, friends, whatsoever you do in word or deed, all must be done in the name of Jesus. Spouses can't speak to a spouse in hatred and anger and venom and, and, and children and to parents and parents to children, neighbors to neighbors, employers to employees, you know, work associates, business associates. We're, we're supposed to have the law, the royal law living in our lives. Our homes are supposed to be governed by the token. We're not supposed to offend the Holy Spirit. Because it wasn't love. He wasn't living the royal law. And what James said in chapter 2 comes into play. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. I'm going to turn a corner. I'm going to run for the finish line. And you're going to be glad because at this point, if I didn't have what I'm getting ready to go to, I would just have, I thought about this today. I was out working in my yard and I was thinking about these notes. 
And I thought, wow, this is so tight that I'm just going to have to tell the whole church, I'm sorry, I don't think any of us are going to make it. Me included. It's just too tight. And I, I, I just thought I would have to, if I didn't have the answer, I would have to come here and apologize and say, friends, for 30 years I've tried to get you to perfection and I haven't even been able to get myself there. And I'm sorry, but it looks like none of us are going to make it. Brother Branham goes on in the water of separation. Here's your, here's your remedy from fainting. He said, God, looking through the blood, he doesn't see you no more as a sinner. He sees you redeemed. Amen. You're redeemed because. You mean there's a reason? Yeah. You're redeemed because. He's always seen you through Christ. Hallelujah. That's the reason we can be perfect. Not perfect in the sense of sinlessness. We're perfect in the eyes of God when we're in Christ. You see why I keep saying it? You must be born again. See, not, not, not perfect. In the sense of sinlessness, we're perfect in the eyes of God when we're in Christ. That's the reason, he said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, Brother Branham moves to chapter 10 of Paul coming here, and he says, Paul in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Now, don't lose sight of the fact that Hebrews chapter 10 is, is the setup to come to Melchizedek. All right? Now, watch. Hebrews trying to explain the law. Paul's trying to explain the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things. Could never make the comer unto perfect because God was looking through animal blood. But now he looks through the blood of his son. Perfection come by Jesus Christ. Now I'm not perfect in your sight. You may not be perfect in my sight. But what about in God's sight? That's where it lays. And if you're born again into the body of Christ, then God looks upon you as perfect as Christ was himself. Amen, says amen to his own statement. Nothing you can do, it's not by any works that you can do at all. It's by grace. God has given you this offer. And if you've accepted it in the sight of God, you are perfect, redeemed, washed in the blood of the Lamb, without fault, without blemish, without spot. See, because now he's moving to the order of Melchizedek, and I, 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 I didn't carry on in the quote, although I, I could have. Um, he, let me, let me, let me read this last one: perfect strength by perfect weakness. That's that's the way God wants us realize 
that we are totally insufficient, then God takes the person and begins to mold himself into that person. Makes his hands do what God would have hands do. Makes his lips speak what God's lips would speak because they're not his, they're God's. Your hands don't belong to you. Your feet don't belong to you. Your eyes, your ears, your, your lips, your speech doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Him. See, there, God, whatever, make His lips speak what God's lips would speak because they're not His, they're God's. Watch this ending statement. He begins to build a character begins to take this weakness and to make his own self. He takes my weaknesses and makes me into him. Makes you into his own self. See, and so, so when he, so this is exactly why it's so significant that he comes to Melchizedek. Because remember, friends, you, you, do, do you remember you, 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 you remember how that, and I, let me, th- I think I got a scripture here. Uh, yeah, Genesis 49, 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering of the people. And shall, shall the gathering of the people be. So, He's, he's a lawgiver. This is what Christ is. When you come into the order of Melchizedek, you're coming into the order of the lawgiver. You say, why is that significant? Because Brother Branham said that I'm above the law. He said, see, if, if, if there's a speed limit that says you can't go but this fast, he said, but if I'm not bound by that law, I can go fast as I want because I'm not subject to the law. And there's no, he calls it a two-bit policeman, can give me a ticket. He says, and he, he references because Mayor Vissing had given Brother Branham a, a mayoral privilege to break any speed limit he needed to on his way to an emergency. Richard Vissing did that. Told the whole police force, if you see that Ford, that black Ford, Bill Branham driving it, don't you ever stop him because I have confidence that he would not be speeding unless he was trying to get to a deathbed or a hospital or something like that. And Brother Branham said, now I'm above the law. He said, the law has no bearing on me. That makes sense because I've been brought under the lawgiver. And and now I'm part of the lawgiver. The law can't apply to me. You remember the scripture that said that, that he put all things under his feet? He said, but when he said he put all things under his feet, it is accepted. In other words, there's an exception that it is accepted that he who put all things under his feet is not under his feet. Because God is going to be all in all. It is accepted that I am part of the lawgiver. I'm not subject to the law because of the order of Melchizedek. You see, friends, let me just say it as plain as I possibly can. Melchizedek had no father. He had no mother. He had no beginning of days. He had no ending of life. He abideth continually a priest because I'm I'm under the order of Melchizedek. Now it doesn't matter how I was born. It doesn't matter how I die in all the chaos in the middle. It doesn't count. 
because I'm in the order of Melchizedek. I have no beginning. I have no ending. None of my life counts against me. I am redeemed under the blood of the Lamb. I have looked, God looked at red through red, and he sees me white as snow. Oh, hallelujah, friends. You don't have to go to that horrible place. You don't have to have ghouls coming after you. Oh, you can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There's hope for us tonight. Can we make it? No, but in him I've already made it. Can I overcome it? Nothing doing. But in him I'm already an overcomer. Let's stand, friends. Life without eternal life is a poor deal. That's, that's a, that, is, that is so stacked. You don't want that because you can't do anything about it. You can't fix it. You can't escape it. You got one destination. You got one appointment with large ghoulish looking beings who want to take you like they wanted to take me, like they wanted to take this man. And this man goes on. I didn't, like I say, I didn't hear it, but he starts talking about how that God, the spirit of God rescued him. And the next thing he knows, he was in a hospital being revived. And he, and he comes back to give his testimony. Bow your heads all over the audience with me. Thank God, Lord. I thank you for life and liberty. I thank you for the word, Father. I thank you for your spirit abiding. I thank you for a prophetic inspiration in this day to line all of these things out and make it clear. Oh, I'm part of the family in, the, in Melchizedek. In that order, I'm, I'm royal family. I'm living under the royal law of the royal king and I'm headed to a royal world. I have a royal life, Lord, and sometimes, Father, now in our hearts, Lord, it grieves us to think when we haven't lived royally. Lord, with all heads bowed and hearts are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder today, friends, would you like to speak to the royal king and say, Lord, I accept you and I'm sorry when I haven't lived royally. Raise up that hand to him. I'll raise up both of mine. Lord, I'm sorry when I didn't speak royally. I didn't act royally. I acted like a an earthling. I'm not of this world. I'm of a different world. And I'm sorry, Lord, if I haven't followed the royal law and a royal life and a royal way and a royal manifestation. If it wasn't for red through red being white, I would have no chance. Prophet tells me I'm not sinless. I'm not perfect. Because I'm sinless, I'm perfect in your sight because of Christ. So therefore, Lord, tonight, I thank you for life. I thank you for the word. I thank you for your anointing. But most of all, Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you. I thank you that you loved, so loved the world. You gave your only begotten Son. Whoever 
would not, whoever would believe in him would never perish. They would pass from death to life. They would never come into the judgment. I pray that, Lord, you will bring all to you tonight in a real way. If there's anyone in this building, young or old, married or single, male or female, say, I, I come to church. I, I'm a believer. Brother Jason, I'm, I really am. No, for real I am. I'm a believer. I believe this word. I, I, I do love God, but I know, I know there's still something that I've still yet got to come to. Some element where there's a, a greater control of this great God over my life. Why don't you raise up hands and say, Lord, help me. Oh, just come to Him humbly tonight, friends. Don't, don't stand on your accomplishments. They're worthless. Lord, if there's a young person never been filled with your Spirit, may they say right now, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Fill up my whole being. Change my heart. Change my mind, Lord. Come in, Lord God, and live from this day forward. I pray, Master, that we'll wonder at our life to see, to check at it, to check and see that our life is worthy. Lord, if we have spoken unkindly to someone in the world without hope, how do we hope to win them doing that? If we've spoken to other believers who are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we've spoken unroyally to our children, if we've spoken unroyally to our wife or husband, Lord, if we've brought things that would grieve your spirit, Lord, and prevent the full power of the Holy Ghost working in our lives, I pray you pardon us right now. Help us, Lord Jesus. Lord, you put this sermon on my heart. It just came upon me so suddenly and I knew it was you. My heart leapt at it, Lord, and just, just, I, I was astonished at the clarity of thought. Lord, I, I just stand before you tonight thankful for grace. I'm, I'm very sorry, Lord, for every time, not if, but for every time I have failed you, every time I've disappointed you, every time I've grieved you, by not living a royal manifestation before others, others in my home, others in my church, others in my community. Help us, Lord God, to live the royal law, the law of liberty in Christ that's made us free, free from the influences of sin. I can love God. I now have the ability to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. That you'll get a fresh, a fresh a freshness, Lord, of thy life and thy spirit to live in us tonight. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing, Brother Anthony. Come on and gather, friends. It's getting late. Gather with me. Strength is perfect when I oh, yes. strength is gone. He'll carry. He'll carry. Where?
Oh yes, his strength, his strength is perfect. His strength is perfect. Sing it again now. Oh his strength. says prayer requests for Sister Patricia Short for healing from symptoms and for help in the decision needing to be made about treatment for leukemia that they've discovered and Sister Patricia Short um, yeah I got that also a testimony from Brother Bruce and Sister Linda you may remember a prayer request we put in regarding one of uh, their cleaning ladies having a growth on the frontal lobe of her brain. She had surgery recently, and her surgeon said he was able to get the entire thing removed and uh, that it was actually benign. So we're thanking the Lord for that. I don't seem to have any other prayer requests. Um, no, I don't. Amen. But I'm sure a message like this tonight... <clears throat> We'd all say, my greatest need is more of him. We'd have a need tonight. Let's sing it again. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. Oh, yes, Lord. He'll carry us when we cannot carry Amen. We also want to continue to pray for Sister Joyce, her recovery. She's some improvement today. I got that from uh, Sister Brenda, but let's just keep praying. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for the testimony that we have received, Lord, from Brother Bruce and Sister Linda concerning the cleaning lady. Oh, Lord, you still move by prayer. You still move on behalf of your people's request. We thank you, Lord, for helping Sister Joyce in her time of critical need, Lord. And we're asking that you continue, Lord, to strengthen her. And may she be made completely free of this affliction. 
Lord, there's other needs that we're aware of that we're not reading out tonight. Lord, but you know the desires on our heart and hands went up everywhere. Lord, we're praying for many unspoken requests tonight. We're praying for Sister Patricia Short right now, Lord, that you would condemn the work of leukemia in her body, Lord. And may, Father, that even, even before our sister should have to go devastating treatment, may the angel of God's presence just speak a blessing toward her, Lord, and may she be made completely whole. Lord, I pray that the word that went forth tonight will go with us to our homes and be with us tomorrow. Lord, and may it, may it make us think long and hard, Father. This is a terrible, sinful, dark, evil world. It's about to pass away, Lord. It's about to uh, go down in complete self-destruction. And before that can happen, a bride is to be perfected and caught upward in a glorious gathering in the sky. Lord, we long for that day. May you hasten your coming, Lord God, and may we live in ways that, may we be responsible to live in ways that would help us to have a part in hastening the coming of the Lord. Lord, we want it so bad, then what are we doing about it? Are we doing our part to hasten the coming of the Lord? We thank you, Father. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for believers. Thank you for the people that were here tonight, Lord, and those streaming who have said amen to every word from their heart. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you, friends. Amen. Anybody got a testimony before we go? <clears throat> amen. Anybody got something you want to share? Uh, the Lord's done for you. Amen. Lord's been good to us, hasn't he? Yep. All right. Oh, Anthony's got, where's, oh, over here. Sure, we're all here. Yeah, I'd just like to thank God for protecting uh, my brother and myself on Saturday. We uh, took a boat out, pretty large boat, and uh, we're hitting Mossy or yeah, Battery Creek Road. And the uh, wheel came off the boat and just like the trailer, rather, and just like came off entirely off the axle. So the, we, the boat just hit the ground. We started kind of skidding down the road and the wheel went right across the sidewalk through a guy's fence, demolished an entire fence. Oh boy. The guy came outside. I mean, he was very nice and understanding, but the damage it done was so shocking that me and my brother immediately were like, man, this could have been seriously maimed or killed someone. Yeah. Much less if we hadn't happened on the 30 mile an hour Battle Creek Road, wow. a half a mile from where we left from, wow. it could have happened on the... 21 going speed. 60 oh my goodness so we were just thanking god and the and thanking you know the, the gentleman for being understanding and so mm. anyways god was watching out for us so we're Amen. very very thankful praise the lord amen anybody else tonight before we go the lord watches out for us doesn't he amen i remember years ago brother homer brown was telling me a story i'll tell you this and let you go he was uh the Lord had sent him to preach late at night, and he told the Lord, he said, Lord, the tires on my car are just about bald. I don't know if I can make it all the way there and make it all the way back home. And the, he said, but the Lord said, no, go. I want you to, I've got it set up. I want you to call the pastor, tell him you're coming. And he called the pastor, and the pastor said, well, it's got to be God. He said, because I, I just couldn't feel what I was going to preach tonight. Didn't even know. And he said, and here you're calling me. He said, yeah, come on. So Brother Homer went and preached. 
And I'm sitting in a restaurant with him, and he's telling me this story. And he said, on the way back, he, um, it's really late at night. And he said he hit this end of a bridge, a long bridge. He said probably several hundred yards long across the river. <clears throat> and he said, right as I hit that, as soon as I got up on the bridge, he said, it's very narrow. And he said, right as I hit this end of it, a tractor and trailer hit the other end of it, coming right at me. And he said, all of a sudden, the left rear tire blew. He said, I heard it go, boom. And he said, all of a sudden, the whole car started turning sideways and I'm sliding sideways and this truck is bearing right on top of me. He just picked up his fork and went back to eating. <laughs> and I said, I said, I was like, well, I, brother, brother Homer, what did you do? He said, and he put his fork back down. He said, well, I really didn't know what to do. I just yelled out, God, do something. <laughs> and he said, when I yelled that, he said, the other tire, rear tire, boom. And he said, it pulled the car back this way. And the truck went by. <laughs> he said, I limped off the other end of the bridge and there was an old service station closed. But he said, I knew the man lived behind it. He said, I went and beat on his door and he felt sorry for me and gave me two new tires from my car. And I went on home. Oh, I said, Brother Homer, what, what no one could see is when you hit that first end of the bridge, there's a, a demon standing there, and he stabbed and popped your tire. But what he didn't know, about halfway down, there was an angel standing there, and right as you slid by, he popped the other one. <laughs> Either way, Chris, is the hand of God watching out for us. That would have been terrible. I mean, think of what happened at 30 miles an hour. Imagine what would have happened out on a big four lane running high speed. Turn around and shake hands with somebody standing near you. Say, God bless you, friends. Amen. You can be dismissed. Don't forget, brothers, our men's prayer meeting starts again tomorrow night promptly at 6, 6 p.m. sharp. Amen. Sing for us, Brother Tony. Amen. God bless you, friends. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.
great success that shows no glory on my own yet in my weakness is the thing let me know His strength.